10. And as you remain standing here, we are going to read God's holy inspired word. This is God's word for us. Let's read it together. Galatians 6 and verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would press the truths of these words on each of our hearts today. Would you encourage us? Would you change us to think and believe and live in light of your word? Would you give us hope from the scriptures today? We need it from you. We need it every week. We need it every day. We ask for your help in these things. Show us what you want us to see from your word. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I am not a farmer. You all know that. I'm a pastor. But I love farmers and pastor even farmers that are here in this church. And I've learned a thing or two since I've been here. Gallatin, riding on combines, learning about seed time and harvest and all the hard work and patient waiting and cultivating in between. And though I'm not a farmer, believe it or not, I do farming work every single day. And so does everyone here in this room. Now, I know many of you are actual farmers, and that is no surprise to you or anyone else that you do farming work. I mean, duh, you're a farmer. People know that. We all know that. I don't have to tell you that. But the farming you see that I'm referring to here is a kind of spiritual farming that every Christian in this room is called to. Even if you're an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian, you're doing a kind of spiritual farming too. But you're just sowing to a different kind of crop. For you see, everyone is a spiritual farmer of some sort, sowing good spiritual things or bad spiritual eternal things. Everyone's a spiritual farmer in that regard. For everybody's spiritual, and everyone is religious and worships something in a kind of sense. You say, no way that that's true. I know atheists or apathetic agnostics or even apathetic religious by name only type of people, those friends of mine in that category, you might be thinking, they're not spiritual at all. What are you talking about, Daniel? But I want you to realize here that even the atheist is sowing spiritual things, not good 
things, but eternal things. Not in that good sense, but in a sense, sowing fleshly evil things for evil ends and bad fruit. So what kind of fruit are you sowing? The purpose of this text this morning is to encourage Christians here to do good deeds of sowing. But you might object and say, Daniel, I thought this series in Galatians was titled Gospel-Centered Justification. And I thought that we can't do any good works to justify ourselves and save us before God. And you're just like, get that good deed talk out of here. Or as Nacho Libre put it, get that corn out of my face. But hold on a minute. If you've concluded from this series that good works are not necessary in the Christian life, you haven't been listening carefully. I'll say it again. The purpose of this passage we just read is that Christians are to be doing and sowing good works in their lives. Here's the question I have for all of us. Are good works necessary for Christians? Think about it. Answer it in your heart and mind. What is your answer? Some of you are probably wrong. Are they necessary? Yes, of course they're necessary. Good works are necessary. This whole passage is about that very topic, sowing good things. Paul wants you, dear Christian, to do good things. Not to get you right before God or to justify you. Not at all. We've seen that in this very book that we are saved or justified through faith alone, by God's grace, not a single one of your good works or your good sowing will get you right before a holy God. But the answer still remains, church. Good works are necessary for Christians. It's literally what this passage is about. As I repeat the meaning of this passage for the third time, Necessary not to save us, but to bless others. Necessary not to get us justified before God, but to show and prove that we are truly genuine Christians because truly genuine Christians will sow good deeds. They just will. It's what Christians do. They've been transformed. This leads us to our text this morning to see up front here in the first point and a good example, a needed example for sowing good even here in our local church. And number one that we'll see from this passage is this, support faithful pastors for their word ministry. Look with me at Galatians 6.6 6 again for this clear truth. It says this, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Support faithful pastors for their work of the ministry. So far in this letter, as we've seen in Galatians, we've seen examples of Christian living, and we've seen challenges in the churches in Galatia in many different ways. Paul challenging them, exhorting them, 
commanding them. Paul tells them to cast out the false teachers. He says, don't put up with them. Don't be friends with them, but cut them off. He tells them to continue in the spirit and get back to hearing the word with faith. Stop trying to be made right before God by mosaic law-keeping. He says, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery under the law. But instead, what does he say? Love one another and stop being mean and cannibalizing each other. But walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And bear burdens. Don't create them. And now, Paul commands the church specifically on another topic. Of all things, not a popular topic of our day, he tells the church to provide financially for their pastors. Because in light of their foolish support and love of the false Judaizing teachers, which probably included some financial support for these bad guys, because false teachers love money for greedy and shameful gain, And prior to Paul writing this letter, they thought they were awesome. They loved them. They were believing what they said. They were esteeming them. They should have never done that because these weren't good teachers. And we even see even in the context of our letter of Galatians that these flattering, deceptive, false teachers were only in it for what they can get from the Galatian believers to use them, to trample on them, to deceive them. But in light of all this, the Galatians did need good, godly preachers to feed them the word of God. They needed healthy doctrine, instruction, and teaching, both in public settings and in personal settings like counseling or discipleship or training in biblical theological things. And Paul knew that they needed teachers like that to avoid the bad ones that he was warning about. So he encourages the churches, rather, he commands the churches in the region of Galatia to provide for and support financially faithful pastors who would teach them healthy doctrine instead. We could be tempted to shy away from topics like this because it could be awkward to talk about money, paying pastors, and things of that nature. But isn't that exactly what Paul commands here and we see in so many other places in the New Testament? Here's the thing. We shouldn't shy away from topics that the Bible unashamedly puts forward to us as healthy, whatever it is. This doesn't have to be an awkward topic for us. It's just practical and realistic. If churches want to have pastors who are able to teach, preach, disciple, counsel, and lead, all of that takes time and preparation, prayer, deep thought, and work. Now, contrary to popular belief, pastors don't just roll out of bed on Sunday morning to have a sermon drop into their lap like manna to go preach to their churches. (laughs) Despite the stereotypes... Well, I mean, some do that, actually, sadly. Some do that, but they are not faithful pastors, faithful shepherds. In fact, on that note, church, 
there has recently been a well-known president and leader of a denomination, and he's no longer in that position, in part because of what I'm going to tell you. He was caught plagiarizing his sermons. He basically took the manuscript or transcript notes of another preacher and preached them to his congregation as if they were his own and as if he had provided it for them and worked hard in the text to give it to them. He took in one click of the mouse to print another pastor's sermon. In one second, what takes faithful preachers 20 to 30 plus hours of work to provide for their congregation? I'm talking about Sunday morning gathered worship, which is where the majority of time is put in in terms of uh, preaching and teaching ministry for uh, pastors to churches. What a lazy thing for him to do habitually, perpetually, unrepentantly. Because Paul commands Timothy in the pastoral epistles to study to show himself approved as an approved workman who handles the word of God accurately. This former president of a denomination did not study. He spilled no sweat and he failed to wrestle with the text for himself and his people. And so, failed to have any reason for his church to pay him or compensate him, in my estimation. Church, no, I want you to see, this is not what pastoring is about. Plagiarizing is not what God has called pastors to do. Slacking off and cutting corners might be what an unmotivated teenager might do in their first job. But may it never be for a minister of the word of God. God calls them to labor and work hard for the good of their churches. To teach and instruct by teaching them. And to dive deep into the word to preach faithfully. Pastors must take time to study and prepare to preach. Too much is at stake to incorrectly handle God's word. Eternal souls sit before pastors as we faithfully seek to put before God's word before them. And you see, this is a big central aspect of the pastor's job description, to preach in season and out of season, to feed the flock, to protect them from error. It's so clear what we're called to do. And pastors are called to teach publicly and personally in smaller groups or in one-on-one settings, as Acts 20.20 indicates and models for us, both publicly and from house to house. For instance, pastors don't just walk into a counseling meeting with deep, weighty, difficult problems and suffering and struggles and simply just wing it in that ministry either. For those of you who've gone to our Discipleship Table Talk meetings... That whiteboard of discussion questions and plan for the meeting, it doesn't just prepare itself. What do you think Wood just all of a sudden has his youth lesson Wednesday evening or Sunday morning that just kind of fall from the sky for him? No. Or our Sunday evening prayer services, those sermons take time. Leading the service, planning the service takes time and intentionality, including our morning worship. And it doesn't happen without time, prayer, and devotion and work. Our monthly teaching through our church covenant and then through our church doctrine that we've been seeing in our Baptist faith and message and that new members have been able to review some of that, 
That just doesn't write and preach itself. It takes time for us to be intentional and not lead people into error like the false teachers in Galatia. It takes time, prayer. Quite frankly, it takes Pastor Wood and my whole work week. That doesn't even include administrative tasks and websites and uploading sermons and and, and other types of meetings and home visits and hospital visits. Pastor takes time. Pastoring takes time. We all know that. That is just evident. So you can see the wisdom here and reason why Paul particularly charges the Galatian churches to support pastors in this way. Can't can't you just see the practicality? We also see it in many other places in the New Testament. Though this is the first time I'm addressing this topic, this is the first time it's come up in the text. There's other places that this is brought up as well. Churches that are able, by God's grace, to provide pastors to free them up for the ministry of God's word is what clearly the Bible reveals. Praise God for churches like ours who do just that. Now, this doesn't mean just for those who might be thinking that all pastors will choose to be compensated or able to be compensated. Some are bivocational. Paul himself did not take compensation from churches in some situations because he was a tent maker by trade. But he did, did you know that? Paul did receive some financial support in certain places like in the church of Philippi. And he also, uh, it's recorded in uh, 2 Corinthians, he didn't take support from the Corinthian church, but it's recorded that there was other churches supporting him for his ministry to them in Corinth. So it's not like Paul even didn't get supported in any way, but Paul put forward, even though he was bivocational in that way, he commended and commanded churches to provide for those who pastored them. He cared to put this forward because he knew how important it was. Furthermore, just also to be clear, there are pastors and churches across the world who serve as a team or a group of pastors who have different jobs themselves. Many of you know that the church I was ordained at and pastored in California, Marietta Valley Church, prior to coming here in January of 2020, was a church just like that, where I and another non-vocational pastor, he was a firefighter by trade, served alongside two other vocational pastors who were paid to do more work than we can do while working our other jobs. So I know in my history what it's like to pastor while working another job. And let's just say I didn't have a whole lot of time to devote to pastoral ministry as I would have liked. But I was able to support the other pastors as a team in the limited time that I had because of my job. And admittedly, there were some super busy seasons like the summer right before coming to Gallatin where I preached five times through the book of Titus in just a few months in addition to working a 50-plus hour job in account management. And that was a lot of work to be Divided, it was like having two full-time jobs. Especially when I preached Sunday morning sermons uh, back to back and had little time in between. I mean, it, like there was times where I had a month or more in advance and I knew that I could kind of spread it out over a time. But when I was going back to back, it was like having two full-time jobs, two 
40-plus-hour-a-week jobs. Why? Because preparing faithful sermons is a full-time job. This is why I'm so thankful and glad for you, First Baptist Church, that you provide so well to your pastors before I ever even came here, and thankfully continuing on now and foreseeably into the future, so long as the Lord provides and is gracious. I want to thank you, church. Thank you for freeing me up to do this important work. And look, you may be thinking here, why is our pastor telling me all this? This doesn't pertain to me. I'm not a preacher. Well, because Paul saw fit to tell you right here in this text, to tell us that we ought to be sowing financially by giving generously to the church to be able to provide for word-centered ministry to free up pastors to devote themselves to preaching, teaching, counseling, discipleship, prayer, and leading our church. I tell you it because Paul saw fit to tell us that it's practical for us. So if you're here and you regularly give faithfully to the church, motivated by the gospel, not because your arm is twisted, but because you love what Jesus did for you, as we see in our gospel-motivated giving. If that's true for you, that means you're sowing gospel-motivated good seed and obeying Galatians 6.6 that says, and I want us to see it again, let the one who is taught, in your scriptures, Galatians 6.6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And also taking into consideration 1 Corinthians 9 and 14, and I want you to see this as well. It says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the word should get their living by the gospel. Church, I would guess that that is the majority, the great majority of our members here. And I want to praise God for that. And I want to thank God and thank you for providing and supporting Word ministry in Gallatin. But on the other hand, if you're here and you may not be giving regularly or generously as God so leads you, if you decided not to give regularly to the church a portion of what you've decided, you and your family have decided, and if you're a church member specifically, this is for church members or regular attenders that calls First Baptist Church of Gallatin your home, if that's you, and I'm not even sure if that describes anyone here, uh, I've chosen not to know some of that information as your pastor, but if it describes you, you, you know who you might be, then I think it's clear from a passage like this that Paul would just be telling you here to repent of that passage and neglect, or that neglect and, and that practice, and just start sowing to the Spirit by giving a portion of your generous means within your means, and the decision that you make for the glory of God motivated by the gospel. It's simple. We want to align ourselves with God's word. Start giving alongside other faithful members or regular attenders of our church who share the work of partnering together and share together. It's not on one person. It's on all of us to support your pastors as the text and the rest of the scripture clearly says. This is an important exhortation, just like all the other ones that Paul's giving to the Galatians, it relates to us. And I just want to say, thankfully, we have really, really generous people in our church. We are a generous church, and I am just so thrilled, like I said, just to reiterate, I'm overjoyed 
to be able to give my full work week and time and energy to prayer and study. And I know Pastor Wood is thankful for that as well. We're thankful to be able to labor over the word and be able to have something edifying to teach you from God's word week in and week out. Thank you, church, as the passage says, for sharing all good things with Wood and I as your pastors, as the text reveals. Oh, that is just one good way that your faithful sowing by giving blesses our church. And we've seen a lot of examples of other good ways that our gospel-motivated giving blesses us as well. This leads us now to our next point, to see more about what this sowing and reaping indicates. And look at number two with me. Sow to the Spirit, not the flesh. Look with me at verses seven and eight now for this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This here in our second point, really is where this farming analogy picks up. I hope you could see that. And I want you to see that in its context, it relates to what we just looked at in terms of financial support of of your teachers, which is why in that first point, I referred to giving as as sowing, because that relates to, and these verses tie to that as well. But I want to also say, as I've been meditating on this passage this week, it's clear that though the near context of this text relates to this passage of the first point, of course, sowing and reaping relates to other areas as well. And here's the thing, church. Though I said earlier that we are all spiritual farmers in one way or another, we can always examine ourselves by pursuing and doing and thinking and sowing. How are we doing in those ways? We want to examine ourselves. For we could either be sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh, as the text says. There are two ways of spiritual farming. Which way are you farming? Which way are you sowing? I want to point out here that the answer isn't so Simple. Because the passage warns us not to be deceived ourselves on this whole topic of spiritual farming and sowing and reaping. For apparently, we can be rather ignorant and lack the kind of self-awareness and even be deceived about what exactly we are sowing to ourselves. We can self-justify all of our actions to appease our own consciences to fit whatever we feel like doing on any given day. So we can think that we're doing good even when we're doing bad based on whatever we feel on any given day. But whatever we feel when we simply roll out of bed and just feel like doing isn't always the best thing to pursue, amen? We know that. Let's just be honest about it. So we may think that we're all right, but we may be deceived. We may think that we're living faithful Christian lives, but the passage tells us don't be deceived. We must be asking ourselves, not just our own opinion, but objectively seeking God's 
opinion. Because you can't pull a fast one on God. Like the kid who tries to sneak something behind their parents' back. That may work because despite what parents may say, parents don't really have eyes in the back of their heads. And they may be able to trick their parents or you may be able to trick yourself or you may be able to trick other people, but not God. For God is not mocked and he knows all things and you ain't getting nothing past God. Obvious truth, but we have to be reminded by it. He knows what you sow. He knows what I sow. The farmer, if he or she is going to produce a harvest, must sow good seed and put in the hard work, the good work, the wise work. God knows the work that you're putting in. He knows what you're sowing to. In your workplaces, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your local church, You can't just put a smiley, shiny face on and trick God. He knows what you're all about. God is not mocked. Remember the flesh list and the spirit lists we saw in chapter five? This applies here too. If you are pursuing and living in unrepentant lifestyles of works of the flesh and sexual immorality, idolatry, relational backbiting, infighting, or wild party living. If that is what you're giving over to, if that is what you're sowing to, that means that you are sowing metaphorically to fleshly things, fleshly seeds for fleshly living in ways that the passage says if you're doing that kind of thing and in habit and in terms of characterizing your life, you will reap a future harvest. Don't be deceived. Not of good things, but of bad things and destruction and judgment. It means that you will go to hell if that is how you are living. But if, on the other hand, you are sowing to the Spirit, which is the same thing as walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit, if you are sowing to the Spirit, you will not only bear fruit here on earth, but it means that you have an eternal life now and into the future. It means that you're saved, forgiven, justified. What are you sowing to? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, and other things in the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it on that fleshly list primarily? Be honest with yourself. God knows. He's not mocked. You better be honest now. And any course corrections should happen now. Don't be deceived. Now, to be very, very clear here, we do not be, we do not get to heaven by our works of the spirit or even our sowing. We don't. Our spirit sowing proves, though, that we were justified in the first place. When we said that we believed, when we believed. The fruit of the Spirit, the sowing to the Spirit, is evidence of a true, genuine conversion. Why? Because Christians sow good seed. That's what we do. It's who we 
are. Not, not perfectly as we've seen before. We will stumble and struggle and sin to be sure, but we will repent and turn from that sin, not just living in it in a high-handed licentiousness and, and just giving ourselves to the fully blown acts of the flesh. We won't do that. No, we will pursue the fruit of the Spirit as Christians. So again, what, what are you sowing to? Examine. God knows. Be honest. Repent where you see the bad, disobedient, faithless sowing and pursue good sowing for good fruit in eternal life. Not to earn it, but because that's what people on their way to eternal life are doing in their lives today. But here's the thing. Like I've mentioned before, the Christian life is really, really hard. It's not some picnic or walk in the park, is it? It's hard. It's hard just like farming is hard. If I've learned anything by being here in Gallatin as it relates to farming is that farming is hard work. It takes intentionality, persistence, not laziness. You show me a lazy farmer and I'll show you a situation where there is no reaping. There is nothing good happening in that farm. Amen? We know that. It's hard. Spiritual sowing and spiritual farming is hard. But what do we do when the going gets tough in the Christian life? When disappointments abound, and they will. When struggles hit our home, and it will. When trials overwhelm us and we feel like we're drowning, what do we do? That leads us to our third and final point. Persevere, church, in spirit sowing and good doing. Persevere. Look with me at verses 9 and 10 for this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Persevere in spirit sowing and good doing. How many of us here have ever been weary in life? Or let me ask it the other way. How many of us here have not grown weary in our lives? I can ask for a show of hands here. If you've not been weary in your life, if you've not struggled and been weary, raise your hand. I'm not raising my hand. I'm going to keep my hands down. And I can see that nobody else is raising their hands either. And I can tell you as your pastor, I have grown weary at times in my life too. I think this is something to encourage every last one of us in this room. I've been so encouraged and edified by the truths and meditating on this passage of spiritual Farming as it relates to all areas of my life. You see, this is why pastors cannot plagiarize and just rip someone else's sermon off and just preach it as their own because they have to meditate for their people to give them good truths from God's word. I've been helped by the word. I hope you can see that. Week in and week out, I'm helped by the word. Week in and week out, Pastor Wood is helped by the word. And this applies not just to my pastoring. 
but to my marriage and to my parenting and to my friendships and to my family relationships and to my church membership and to generosity and to witnessing and discipling other believers. And I know that for those of you who work outside of pastoring like Pastor Wood and I do, and that's all of us here, other than us, you can add your vocation to the list as well. Good work, good sowing, things that you're called to do. Paul is telling us and reminding us here not to grow weary. Because Paul knows that we can easily slip into weariness in all areas of life. He's realistic. The Bible is realistic. Because life is hard, isn't it? Not everything goes how we expect. Failures happen. Disappointments and circumstances weigh on us. Stress can build up. Anxiety can keep us on edge. Unable to relax. And depression can wear us down. And we look at our lives, we see the huge list of responsibilities that we have, and we can be overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? We can feel at times that we just can't keep up, like we can't get it all done. And we can feel regularly that we could have done better. Every day we can feel that, right? We can feel like, oh, what's the use? What's the point? There's too much. We could feel like we're drowning. And I get that, church. But Paul is reminding us to continue to sow to the Spirit and to do good, even in light of that. Day by day, rather, moment by moment, hour by hour, week in and week out, don't grow weary, church, in doing good. But when you are burdened and down, you need to remember this encouragement by Paul. See it. This is for you. This is a balm to you. Keep sowing even when you don't see the harvest in sight. It's coming. Even when life is hard and gets you down, keep sowing. It's coming. It's God's timing, timing, not yours. One commentator put it like this. We need to sow as if we are recognizing that the harvest is ahead and it doesn't just happen all in one day. Like kids kind of think. They're like, okay, I'll do it. Let's just sow and then I expect it to happen now. That's childish ways and childish thinking. See that we need to persevere in sowing even as we look forward to a future Harvest, don't grow weary in doing good. I want to encourage you if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, man, have I messed up. I sowed to the flesh. I failed again. Ah, it's so frustrating. We've seen that frustration so far in this letter, haven't we? I've been there. I know you've been there. You messed up. Dear Christian. My encouragement to you, Paul's encouragement to you, is stand up by the power and help of the Holy Spirit and start sowing to the Spirit today. God is gracious, and he will help you put one foot in front of the other. He will help you not faint so that you can continue 
walking in the spirit, sowing, sowing, sowing. So sow, sow, sow. Not in your own power and strength, but with the help of the Holy Spirit. As you walk in the Spirit and sow to the Spirit, God is with you. He is in you in the Holy Spirit, helping you in these things. Oh, church, I want us to see this. This passage that we just read there at the end also gives us clarity and priorities about what we should be focusing on. It's been said that there's a lot of things that we can be doing in life. But there are some things that we must be doing. Passages like that we should be thankful for because they give us direction. We already saw the priority earlier about the importance of churches providing for faithful pastors who teach the word. But now we're seeing that there are countless opportunities all around us to do good. If we're ever doubting whether or not we should do good to someone in a situation in a variety of different ways that come up, the answer here is clear. Paul says, let us do good to everyone. And that could seem impossible, right? I want to encourage you, by God's help, we can have it on our radars to do good to people we come in contact with every single day, in every single context. And we may fail in this, and we have failed in this, right? Oh, we failed in this. But there are new mercies in the morning, and we can repent and refocus to do good and so do good things to everyone the next day. This passage is also realistic for us, for it also says, as opportunity to do good to everyone. This means that God realizes that you can't do good to everyone everywhere on the earth at all times. He's put us in a specific location in a town here of 1,700 people, in a county of a little over 8,000. We have limited relationships and family relationships and workplace relationships and community relationships. God knows that, and so he says, as opportunity, and gives us direction and realistic expectation that we ought to be doing good, doing good to those in our lives. That's what God has put us here for, to be a light on the hill, a city on the hill. The passage also narrows things down for us even further in terms of priority. Did you see it? It says not only do good to everyone, but what does it say? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you see the narrowing? As members of our local church together, our narrowed down focus of doing good, especially zeroes right into fellowship with fellow members of our church. Remember that we saw today, even in receiving two new members, and what, how glorious that's been. In this last month, we've seen a total of five new members come amongst us. What did we see? We made a promise to each other to do spiritual good to each other and to see each other growing in mutual discipleship as we follow Jesus together. Don't you think that that meaningful membership is a kind of good sowing that God wants us to do for each other and each other to one another? This narrows down to our local church. Are you sowing good into the lives of fellow members? We have new members this last month to be sowing good into them as they sow good into us. That is what Paul is getting at here. Don't grow weary. Do good to all, but especially those fellow members and believers that you want to love 
and tangibly care for and love God has providentially placed us into each other's life. Members of this church. So I ask you once again, what are you sowing to? Eternal life or eternal destruction? And I also encourage you once again, when you feel down and like giving up, giving up on the good that you're doing to others in all these spheres of life. Remember Galatians 6 here, church. Remember Paul's charge and keep giving. Keep sowing, keep serving, keep loving, keep parenting faithfully, keep discipling, keep praying, keep caring, keep warning in love, keep befriending, keep listening, keep mourning with others who are mourning and rejoicing with others who are rejoicing, keep working, keep blessing, keep doing good and sowing to the Spirit, church, for all of your sowing will lead to a glorious Harvest if you keep on sowing until the end. Don't give up. Don't give up because if you do, you will not reap. I leave us now in closing with the words of Charles Spurgeon to further encourage us in these ways. Spurgeon says, Come, my persevering comrades. Let us not be discouraged. In due season we shall reap. Even we, you shall have your share with others. Though you feel as though you must give up, you shall yet reap. After sowing all this while, do not cease from labor when reaping time is so near. And I add, in eternity perspective, in that perspective, it's so near, church. Spurgeon says, if I were a farmer... If I did give up my farm, it should be before I sowed my wheat. But if I had done all the plowing and the sowing, I should not say to my landlord, there are six weeks and then cometh harvest, and I desire to let another tenant come in. No, no, I should want to stop and see the harvest gathered and the wheat taken to the market. I should want to have my reward. So, dear brothers, what? Wait for your recompense, especially you who have been discouraged. In due time, we shall reap if we do not faint. Father, would you help every last believer in this room to not give up in doing Moving us to sow good things to others and to ourselves and for your glory. Would you move in us? We need your help. Keep us in the faith. Don't let us abandon ship. Keep us going. Keep us sowing. Keep us loving. Keep us doing for your glory and by your power and grace. Would you do that for all of us? Would you help us leave here with that on our minds? Not just today but in the next week and year and decade and until the very day we die. Help us not to grow weary in doing good. Oh God, help us in these things. We say this in Christ's name. Amen.